Hello and welcome to the Fat Tailed Thoughts podcast, where we talk about the workings of money, crypto and fintech. My name's Stephen Dickinson. and I'm joined as always by my dear friend and colleague, Jared Clee. Hey, Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. This camera's jumping around, so hopefully the YouTube video, you, we don't make anybody sick on YouTube. Um, I'm, I'm kind of hoping the dog just runs into the background and we can get the, the, the track in the dog. So this is Polly's new R30, which is for conference rooms. But I'm setting it up in my sort of 10 foot by 20, 10 foot office downstairs. So if it sort of moves around, it's got acoustic fence technology, though, which I'm a massive fan of, considering said dog and her proclivities for barking. There you go. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not having trouble on this one. Just get, it zooms in, it zooms out, it tracks you. You, you got to get the, the BB 8 uh, droid over there just rolling back and forth, see if you can. See if I can confuse the confuse the technology. So this week we're we're making a bit of a pivot as a whole here with fintech and finance, founders and funders, fat tail thoughts. Do you just want to give the the sort of people who've been with us for the journey? You know, we're on episode twenty nine. We've had the newsletter on Substack. We've had the fat tail thoughts website. Few things changing. And I think it's worthwhile sort of maybe just spending 30 seconds sort of walking people through it. So kind of what's going on, what's happening, um, just so some of our long-term listeners and viewers kind of who've maybe seen a few things change get orientated. So for those of you who subscribe, you probably, to, to the newsletter, you probably saw this in there. Um, new home for all of this at fintechandfinance.co. Um, we're um, splitting out three different uh, pieces of content. So same letter every single week, rebranded as FinTech and Finance. That will continue to focus on, well, FinTech and Finance going That's deep every week. That's such a catchy title. I love that it actually oh. describes what it is. That's so good in the marketing department there. It was, that, that was the goal. Is actually get, get it to be called what it's talking about. And they'll still have the cocktail and all that kind of fun stuff. Fat-tailed thoughts, very much still continuing, but the, the original goal with fat-tailed thoughts had been to talk about, well, the fat tail, the long tail of topics that doesn't necessarily make it into the mainstream is probably off the radar of traditional finance. Things like we, we had a lot of fun with the Veblen goods topic, talking about watches and purses and other types of, of assets that, that don't follow normal supply demand. We want to talk about more of that type of topic, that long tail of, of uh, kind of more esoteric topics. We're refocusing the podcast around that. The letter, the letter alongside fat-tailed thoughts is going to be a little bit shorter, a little bit tighter. It's going to be more focused around the podcast. The letter is basically going to complement it as opposed to be your, your 3,000 words. Alongside that, um, launched last week with Funders and Founders, three awesome launch episodes that will be podcast only, uh, talking with, well, again, Funders and Founders, looking at the earliest days of what it takes to build a startup. So uh, my, my good friends, Roland Mancia of Safely Finance, Joe Hasselman of uh, Invicta, and Michael Dowling of Jewel and of Mode 11 Bancorp. Um, all came on for the launch episodes. Really exciting stuff. Go check it out um, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. And more to come on that front. So 
lots of content, lots of new stuff, um, continuing uh, to build out what Fat Tail Thoughts can and will be getting into, well, again, really returning to the roots of, of this really interesting long tail of topics. And today is algorithmic stable coins and the blow up of Terra, Terra USD, Luna, the, the, the whole ecosystem. So, I mean, David, thanks for the introduction on the on what's going on here. I mean, I think exciting things going on with the content strategy, a bit more tight focus. But sort of diving into it, you, you, you got us there. I think lots of heat and noise in the system this last 10 days around Luna, UST, um, Terra, USD, but first off, I mean, as as we say with the fat tail thoughts, we're not trying to sort of rehash the news and commentary the news here. Trying to sort of, for our listeners, put this in some context, provide some longer, more sort of analysis. But I think first off, whilst the crypto community's gone crazy for this, maybe not all of our listeners are crypto natives. Let's first off just set the scene of what's happened Give us a brief summary, if you would, Jared, of what you think happened, and we'll go there first. I'll start with a summary. A really dumb idea finally blew up. <laughs> I think that's the tagline. That's the that's the uh, that's the tweet. That's the tweet version of this. Yeah, I think. Not not going to mince words on this one. So so there are in the world of crypto, there, there's this idea of a stable coin, meaning something a token that is pegged traditionally to a fiat currency like the dollar, like the euro. And the goal is for that token to maintain a stable value against the dollar, the euro, et cetera. And that's quite useful. It allows you to, to kind of exist in a digital dollar world. Now, there've been a whole bunch of models for how you can go build those things. The most reliable, and when I say reliable, meaning it's maintained that peg reasonably well, has been basically a fairly boring model, but in this case, that's a good thing. Things like USDC from Circle, things like uh, USDP from Paxos, where the token represents a claim on dollars held in FDIC-insured uh, deposit accounts or in segregated custody, meaning there is a physical dollar in, a, in the normal banking financial system that is now represented one-to-one -one on the blockchain. And when you sh show up to Circle, when you show up to uh, Paxos and you say, hey, here's my token, I'd like my dollars back, they give you your dollars and they get rid of the tokens. Needless to say, when it's floating out in the, the markets, that basically maintains a dollar pretty damn well because the arbitrage is straightforward. It, it's, if, it, if, it's, if the price dips below, well, you just go buy a bunch of them and call up Circle and Paxos and say, I bought, I bought these for... 99 cents, but I know you'll give me a dollar. So, so I'm happy to do it. And just so we can provide some context of why these things exist. So, so say I'm on Gemini, you know, we've also got their own stable coin and I want to trade, sell some Bitcoin and then buy some um, Ethereum as an example. But I want to uh, sell my Bitcoin today I want to convert to a stable coin for a while, maybe two or three days. I'm going to watch Ethereum and watch the price. I'm not going to just transfer. And then I want to buy Ethereum next week. But I don't want to cash out to fiat currency 
in the meantime, I want to kind of keep it digital and keep it crypto native for a period of time so that I can then make that the second part of the trade and get to Ethereum. That's the kind of simplest use case for a stable coin, I'm assuming. It's, it's exactly right. And it's something we take for granted if, if we're buying stocks or bonds or whatever. When you quote unquote sell something, what you're actually doing is you're saying, I want to trade shares of Apple for dollars. I mean, it's, there's two sides to that trade. We just don't think about the dollar side of it because we live our whole lives in dollars. Well, if you're living in the crypto world, there is no there is no U.S. digital dollar. So you have to exit to some other currency token, etc. Well, if you don't want it bouncing around, you want denominated stable with how you live the rest of your life. You need one of these stable coin or stable coin equivalents. Exactly. Yeah. So because there's a I, just to finish that point, there's a taxable event if you exit to fiat and put your money into dollars for a, a week before you then reinvest those physical dollars into Ethereum in the sort of use case that I described. There could be a taxable event, and that could be... Well, to be clear, if you exit to a stablecoin, it's still a taxable event. Um, taxable event, if you take gains on Bitcoin as well, it's it's what, what, what we're going to differentiate, and, and this is not tax advice, this is not legal advice. The moment you then exit the crypto systems um, into, say, a bank that taxable event shows up in places that the IRS has much better data for. Um, but if you sell Bitcoin for anything else or you sell Ethereum for anything else and you have a gain on sale, I don't care what you what you exited to, still a taxable event. But that's actually, you're, you're getting to an important point, which is if I want something stable to exit to, one of the reasons I want it stable is because I don't want that thing to bounce around and create additional taxable events. I don't want gains and losses on that thing I'm just holding. I just want to hold it. And a dollar that stays dollar stable, or rather a representation of a dollar that stays dollar stable, will not create taxable events when I go to sell Whereas something else that's bouncing around in between may in fact do that. Yeah, you've not got any text exposure in, and to stay on my example, in the week where you're watching the Ethereum market, you know you've not got anything else happening in your portfolio. Bingo, bingo. So the, the stablecoin term gets abused. And and this is kind of where we're going to get our way. Stable gets abused, and the word coin. Yeah, the word. It's exactly right. So so, and and I've been on this. For, I've been on this point for for a long time. I'm glad to see a number of other people, uh, USDC's execs, have, have now been out publicly on this. Um, Stablecoin really should be restricted to to be called something that is dollar stable because when I turn it in, I can go get dollars back out of the bank or euros or take your pick of the currency it's pegged to. Where it's been abused is with what's called algorithmic stablecoins. Um, an algorithmic stablecoin does not represent a claim on dollars held in a bank account. Instead, it's got some novel algorithm that says via fancy math, I can go create something that stays relatively dollar stable. And in Terra's case, the way it did this is with a, a sister coin called Luna. So you've got uh, Terra USD. Which the ticker was UST, uh, then you have a sister coin called Luna. And what it did is it said, okay, anybody who, um, if you want to, when we create UST, we're going to burn Luna. 
When we redeem, sorry, we'll, we will create Luna. When we redeem UST, we will burn Luna. So under the covers, what you have is, is this other token, Luna, that has a fairly elastic supply, which in theory maintains some value. Why? Because somebody else will buy it for more than you did. And as you go and create and redeem the stable token, it burns or creates the underlying supply. And now, there's something this vital in what you said there. Somebody's prepared to pay more for it than you are. And I think so I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin in that statement and draw you back to it later, but I just wanna for the listeners kind of underline that point because I think it's vital. So I and I just I wanna get us out of crypto land for a moment because it's it's gonna be important to kind of historical context here. Imagine that we wanted to go create a new version of the dollar. If we could get our hands on a billion dollars worth of gold, we could go issue a bunch of IOUs and we say, anyone turning in one of these IOUs, I will give you a dollar's worth of gold. Well, those IOUs in theory should trade at about a dollar because again, you've got the, otherwise you've got an arbitrage opportunity where someone can come in, turn in a bunch of IOUs they bought for 97 cents and get a bunch of gold worth a dollar. Terra was trying to do the same thing, but with two made up tokens with a UST, which is supposed to be stable, and Luna, which is going, which is another token that'll fluctuate the the side. There was no dollars anywhere in the background of this, or if they were, there were not very many of them to back the supply of this coin that was supposed to be a representation of a digital dollar. So the way they got people to hold on to Luna is by paying interest. And this, by the way, if you're struggling to understand why Luna has value, you're in very good company. Luna has had value because other people were willing to buy it for more than the people that originally bought it for. This is turtles all the way down. Is this so, the word Ponzi comes to mind? So I, I want to stay away from Ponzi because it's it's the answer is yes, sort of. Mm-hmm. But this gets more interesting than than just a pure Ponzi. So what they're doing is they're, they're paying Luna holders up to 20% annualized yields so that a bunch of people hold on to it. That creates demand for it, which drives up the price, which allows you to have something that's got some amount of value backing the dollar stable token. Again, swap out Luna, swap in gold. You've got the same mechanism. The difference is, for whatever reason, gold has maintained a much higher value. Luna flops all over the place and is now worth practically zero. But the fundamental problem with this model, we're going to make this even more complex in a sec. The fundamental problem with this model is if Luna goes to zero, if Luna's worth almost nothing, you can't print enough of it to go create a stable token outstanding. If Luna is worth $10, for every dollar token you turn in, you get one-tenth of a token. That's fine. If Luna is worth a dollar, for every dollar token you turn in, you get one Luna. That works. Well, if Luna is worth one one millionth of a dollar, you got to print a lot of Luna when someone comes in and turns that thing in. This starts to get absurd pretty quickly. Well, the only way to do this is print lots and lots and lots of Luna. Now you've got traditional supply-demand promises. I print more, the value goes down further, which means that I've got to print even more in order to get the next person redeemed. The thing just doesn't work. 
And that's th- this model worked until the, the price of Luna until went up and up and up. And up. <laughs> the model worked until it, it didn't. didn't. Um, so so I this mean, story got a lit- we've been here before in the traditional banking space. George Soros shorted the pound and, you know, created that market event and, and forced the UK government to do some pretty unusual acts. That's, for me, the historical context here. We've been down this path before. Once we started to unravel, we've, we've seen this play out in the fiat space. And, and I, I should have actually led with this. Why are we talking about this? One, because of the overall context of there's a lot of algorithmic stablecoins out there, and they pretty much all have the same flaws. Second, um, as Terra crashed back to the ground, as Luna went from like $100 a token down to almost zero, um, it erased about $40 billion worth of value in a couple of days. So this was this was not a small event. This was billions and billions of dollars. And there was, was a contagion 20... into the rest of the crypto market. Correct. You so know, this is this, this is where stuff gets BTC, really See, You saw it impact onto Solana and Luna, Ethereum, the, which the have founder got went and this. created a, um, a a sister foundation that went out and said we were going to take a bunch of money. We're going to go buy up other assets other than Luna, and when the price of that dollar stable token moves off its peg. We will create a market and ensure that it stays dollar stable. Well, they broadcasted that they were attempting to buy up to $10 billion of Bitcoin. This is where stuff turns into a lot of fun. Luna, $40 billion, even though it sounds big, is not ultimately a very liquid market. If you're trying to borrow against that, you can't get access to a huge amount of supply. Same with Terra. Bitcoin with a trillion dollar market cap you can get access to a huge amount of supply. That allows you to set up a short. And let let me explain how this works. Terra went out, the the founder went out and broadcast, we're going to buy a bunch of Bitcoin, and we're going to use that Bitcoin to stabilize the price of Terra. Fine. What that means is that as the price dips down, they are going to sell Bitcoin into the market to buy up Terra, which will, normal supply-demand, bring that price back up to dollar stable. When the price goes over a dollar, they're going to buy up, uh, they're, they're gonna sell Terra back into the market, use those proceeds to buy more Bitcoin, build up the Bitcoin, bring the price back down. Normal supply demand here, they're just using Bitcoin as basically the store of value to sell and, and moderate support. Well, if you can borrow a bunch of Bitcoin, say it, $10 a Bitcoin, and then you can smash the price of Terra, meaning you can move it off the peg by selling a huge amount of it into the market all at once. So it trades at 50 cents or 40 cents or 30 cents. What you know is that somebody is sitting on almost $10 billion of Bitcoin and is going to unload that supply into the market, attempting to buy up Terra to bring the price back up. Well, when you unload billions of dollars of Bitcoin all at once, it's going to drive down the price of Bitcoin. So what you do is you go and take out a massive Bitcoin loan. You say, I want to borrow, uh, say, a bajillion Bitcoin (laughs) at $10 a Bitcoin. You then sell that Bitcoin into the market over time so you don't affect the price too much. 
use the proceeds of that to buy up uh, UST, which is that stable coin. Then you all of a sudden wait a couple weeks, a couple months, just dump the stable coin onto the market all at once. That will drive the price down. You know somebody's going to come in and sell a bunch of Bitcoin to try and support that price. The price of Bitcoin will collapse. You go back to your lender. You say, great. You go now buy the Bitcoin back at, say, $2 a Bitcoin instead of 10 that you borrowed at. You give them back the same number of Bitcoin you had. What that means is you've created an $8 per Bitcoin spread that you've now made money on. You borrowed something that was worth 10, you gave them back something worth two. And you can make stupid amounts of money doing this. You can take out massive leverage against it. This is, yes, we're talking about crypto. Yes, we're talking about a stable coin. But this is the exact same thing Soros did in the early 90s with the Bank of England. This is the same thing that led to the Asian financial currency crisis. You had a central bank that says our currency is pegged to the dollar, and then all the assets underneath were not dollars. They were gold. They were a bunch of other stuff. And Soros said, great, I can borrow tons of money, short those assets, smash through your peg, and as the price of those assets crashes, I'm going to just print money. So this We've seen it this obviously the people who were holding Luna – and UST got creamed in this process, and I, I feel for those people. I think the learning for this is all stable coins are not created equal. If the world algorithm, so just uh, you know, go understand whether it's a FDIC backed. There's actual you know what's behind it. And we're starting to see people do a better job, but I think the thing for me, and we'll start to move forward here. The interesting thing for me is net-net, I think this is good for the crypto market. We've seen some people who thought they were smarter than they were have proven to be get caught out. Everybody's had a collective learning moment. We'll hopefully see less algorithmic stable coins on because I think we've proven that that model's open to be... But the, the one I want to sort of pivot to next, and I see you were waiting. You're, you're, you are far more generous than I am. Well, Look, I, think we, this, we have a... I think what we forget is this is still really new as a market. You know, the but, financial yeah, so the you know, dollars and, and euros and pounds, maybe not euros, but dollars and pounds have been around for a long time. And we've flushed these these moments out of those systems. We didn't flush them out. We regulated them out of existence. Well, that's the pivot. And, and that's the pivot. So this did go I, unnoticed it, it, by Janet Yellen and the regular regulators in the U.S. Maybe go there next. So, so yeah, so, so Janet Yellen just completely by happen chance, this all happened last week. Um, Janet Yellen completely by happen chance was doing her normal quarterly or so uh, congressional hearings. Um, report on the state of the treasury and the economy and what she's thinking about and so on. Um, this all blew up as she's going in front of the house. Um, <laughs> did that happen by a... accident, do you think, or did somebody exactly. time it? Exactly. Conspiracy um, theories are us. Why not? Um, so she made a, yet another comment saying the stuff going on in the market right now is is great example of why we need regulations, tighter regulations around what stable coins are and how they work and who's allowed to issue them. And for me, that's it's a mixed bag. Yes, I agree with her in principle, 
Um, even I think very highly of USDC and uh, as Circle and Paxos and what they're issuing. That said, the ecosystem would benefit from tighter regulations around how those works and what a redemption standard is and where the money is stored. I think it, basically I think Paxos and Circle are differentiating themselves by doing all of those things voluntarily. And the reason we need regulation is to wash out all the bad actors who are pretending to be doing the same, but in fact are not. We've talked um, about this about exchanges. There's a reason why I like Gemini as an exchange, because those guys have picked the hardest place in the U.S. to get incorporated. They've put the, the bit license and they've kind of on purpose gone to hunt out the hardest regulations because they want to differentiate their exchange based on we've picked the toughest place. So I, I think there's something in that as a kind of thought process. Agreed. Where, where I'm hesitant, and this is kind of where, where I diverge from, from Janet Yellen, from uh, a number of the folks in, in Congress, you've got a lot of people saying that stablecoins should only be able to be issued by banks. And I, I fundamentally disagree. So, so you can have two different models here. There is, you can have effectively a transferable deposit that works as a model. It's a direct claim mm -hmm. on, on a deposit account that somebody owns. But there's another model here that looks like a money market fund. And we have those today. What USDC and what Paxos are doing look a lot like a money market fund. And we have existing regulations around that. We know how they work. They, they've been uh, time tested. We have good regulations. Those are not issued by banks. They're not managed by banks. They're under the SEC's regulatory regime as opposed to the OCC's regulatory regime. I, I'm totally comfortable with both of those existing in the market. Just like we have today, we have FDIC insured deposits and we have money markets and they both serve different purposes mm -hmm. and they're useful. I would hope that we have similar types of regulatory regime evolve around stable coins so you can have both compete in the market. And then for consumers and for institutional investors, like go stick your money wherever you want, as long as we understand what these things are, appropriate disclosures, and they fit within regimes that we're comfortable with, but again, serve different purposes, different constituents. So I think the point here is regulation's not a bad thing. It needs to just be the right regulation. It completely agreed, and, and I, I've, I've made this point on Twitter. I'll, I'll keep hammering on it. I want to get away from crypto terminology. So what Terra did was not interesting from a financial innovation standpoint. What we did is we took a well-understood, time-broken idea that we've tried and failed to do many times over and over again, we gave it no novel terminology and a bit of pixie dust so we couldn't quite recognize it. And then we launched it again, and sure enough, it failed. We need to get away from using novel terminology, stable coin, whatever you want. We understand what an uncollateralized debt obligation is. We understand what it means to, balance a, uh, to manage a balance sheet. We understand what a money market fund is. Just because we're using new technology to create the same damn things we've been creating for 100 years, we need to go back to that terminology, look at the mechanics of how these things work and go, oh, okay, I know what it is. It helps you understand the risk profile of these things as opposed to saying, ooh, it's fancy, it's new, I've got fun terminology, so all bets are off. And we know what happens when CDOs unravel. We learned that exactly. lesson once already. It's, watch the big short if you don't know. 
<laughs> great movie. Yeah, great, great movie. movie. Great movie. So, so look, I'm, I'm, I'm. Margot, Ro- I, I now can't get Margot Robbie in the bath out of my head, but you know, maybe I should. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm on Anthony Bourdain explaining things over his pasta. Um, the the one from it, I like the one in the casino where they've got Selena Gomez pr- talking about fractionalized. Uh, watch that it's, movie it's been, again. As I say, Margot mm-hmm. Robbie in a bath explaining finance is is maybe <laughs> an interesting part of the way my mind works. But we'll move on. It's impressive they pulled it off. It's it's. But look, I, I stablecoins. I'm I am optimistic that as regulators step in, you will have this environment cleaned up. I am also reasonably positive that. In the absence of, of meaningful regulatory change, you're going to have more garbage like this show up. Yeah, it, it is the 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 nature of finance. We've proved it again and again and again. Is that people will go chase dumb stuff without understanding what it is. Like we saw here, a bunch of the big institutional players got cashed out early with uh, at full value. The retail investors got hold got left holding the bag. They never should have been in this stuff in the first place. They took massive losses. I'm sure some of them still are hoping that the whole thing returns. Look, I, I don't expect every day Joe to be able to differentiate among stable coins. It's a great place for let's get proper protections to put it. So as we start to wrap up here, just quickly, what do you think this means for us going forward? What does this mean for the crypto space? I think we've given some hints around what we think is going to happen going forward. But what do you think this means holistically? Look, I, I, the, the first step is you are, and we've been watching it happen, another $600 million uh, stablecoin collapsed uh, early this week. Um, this, by the way, Terra was not the first one to collapse. There was another, that was about $500 million market cap that collapsed about two weeks ago. Um, you are going to see a bunch of vultures come in, go go get hit lists of every damn algorithmic stablecoin and do the back of the envelope math of how much can I get access to the liquidity I need to short this thing? Can I uh, then? How much We've money can I make? Can they're going to run it again? Basically, oh, yeah. No, it's you've got a playbook now. And and again, we saw that Soros Bank of England predates the Asian financial crisis by about two years. And what people did is they took his playbook. I mean, he writes he writes about this at the time. They took his playbook and went, oh, you could run it over there and over there and over there. And that's exactly what they did. It just took them time to build up to, to build up the book to run the play. We will see the same thing. We're already seeing it here. Um, get that, out that's of, gonna... without this being financial advice, get out of algorithmic stable coins. Well, let's go back. You never should have been in in the first place. Now is a good time to get the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, Look, that, that will smash through this. That's going to continue to put whatever assets they have backing those things, whether it's Bitcoin or whatever else they're using. Depending on how big the ones are that crash, that's going to put massive pressure um, on those on whatever assets are being sold, and the price is going to collapse, in, at least in the short term. Um, I think the, the fun one to watch will continue to be Tether. Um, Tether has seen billions of dollars of redemptions um, since all of this unraveled. Tether has been notoriously opaque about what assets back their supposed stablecoin. Time will tell whether or not they're able to meet all of those redemption requests. If they can't, that is what, 70, $80 billion of, and times however many, times however much, because a lot of that is borrowed and and with significant leverage. Um, 
that could unravel here. I don't know. I don't have any special insight. Um, but certainly it's going to be tested. It's already well, the, being as, tested. As we said, the, this playbook's going to be run across all the stable coins. Right. You want to, um, and, and, I mean, and this, even, this is where I get positive. This is a good test of these stable coins. Are they fit for purpose? Are they as backed as they should be? What's behind them? If you do a run on the bank and the bank survives, it's a good bank. This is yeah. this, this is turning up to your bank and going, can I have the $10 that's in my account? If the bank can consistently give you the $10 back, then it's a well-run bank. If they can't, it's not. It's the same crap we saw here, you know, it happened in the financial crisis in the 30s, you know, 1929. You know, if the bank's not got the money and they're not run well, then it's not a good bank and they'll go bump. Yep. Yeah, the, the, the answer is it's 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 not the easy times that, that let you know who's actually running a good book. It's the hard times, and I, I think you're exactly right. It's only right when there, the water Steven. goes out do you see you swimming naked. Yeah, take, take Warren Buffett's term. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to see everything get tested. Um, we're going to see a lot get washed out and, and just crash. Even the ones that are good, I mean, uh, Circle has seen significant redemptions just less than everyone else. Again, it's in a position of being more trusted. Um, but even it's been tested. It's seen a couple billion dollars of redemption, certainly higher than we, we've seen in its history. Um, rapidly following, I expect regulation to come, but but I acknowledge that I expected regulation in this space probably two, three years ago now, and, and we still haven't had meaningful stuff move forward. Um, the SEC just d uh, doubled down the size of its enforcement division and, and has made not as much progress I would as I would have liked on actually writing net new regulations or giving clarity. Um, so while I think regulation is coming, I also recognize my track record on predicting that has, but I've been exactly wrong. <laughs> Take so, Jared's estimate, times it by three, and you might be more yeah, accurate. Exactly. Is that what you're saying? Maybe maybe there's a, a, a you need to amend your estimates based on a previous experience. Look, my my art, my my estimates are as much hope as anything else. Um, I um, I would like to see well written, thoughtful regulation come to this space because it will not only will the, the the crash that's ongoing will wash out a bunch of garbage. People will take losses, but that's kind of the nature of getting into crap. Regulation will stop more of that from coming in, or at least severely hinder it, and that's what. Ultimately, what this space needs to mature is it needs guarantees, especially for retail investors, that something called a stable coin represents a dollar I can, a token that I can go turn in and actually get a physical dollar back. And until we have an authority come in who can go after the bad guys and create standards for the good guys, we're going to see this on repeat again and again and again. Well, I think that's a fantastic place to summarize. I think interesting and now developments. You've been listening to the Fat Tail Thoughts podcast, where every week we bring you the workings of money, finance, and crypto. We'll see you on the other side. Thanks very much for listening.